Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This season, we're pleased to announce that the Thursday Club is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every single televised Fulham fixture over the 23-24 season. And with more than 900 sports pubs across the UK, it doesn't matter whether you're based in Fulham or Falmouth, you can catch every single minute of the action. Keep an eye out during the season for events, offers, content and competitions that put you closer to the action. Now, Fulham might not be on the TV for the first few games of the season, but if you're not at Craven Cottage for the first few weeks, make sure you catch the rest of the Premier League action on TNT and Sky Sports at your local Green King Sports pub. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sally James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be doing our season preview of the 23-24 campaign. And I'm joined in a pub absolutely glorious Wednesday afternoon by Jack Collins hello hello listeners hello Sammy how you doing good thank you and Peter Rutzler hello everyone hello guys this is nice isn't it this has been real rarity a a wonderful one of the first times well definitely the first time we've done this pod fully in person all three of us despite nearly uh, nearly three years together we've had a bit of lunch a couple of beers Um, what could go wrong You've had the beers, I'm working, so. <laughs> <laughs> Can confirm, Peter only had a Mexican tonic. Um, Jack's on the Guinness. I am, always, always. Always, ever the Irishman. So yeah, we're in the uh, we're in the Crabtree pub, just up the road from uh, Craven Cottage. Um, a, a Green King pub, which uh, you might have heard at the beginning of the podcast, sponsoring us uh, on the Thursday Club of the Season. So thank you very much to, uh, to Green King. So in today's episode, we'll obviously look ahead to Saturday's match uh, against Everton at Goodison Park. Um, and we'll discuss all the latest transfer news, but we will be previewing the season in general. And uh, it's become a bit of a tradition now for us to do our predictions. Um, it's nothing too groundbreaking. Everyone else and their uh, and their dog does uh, predictions at the beginning of the season, um, and we'll review them uh, at the end of the year and see how stupid we looked. Actually, last year we didn't look too stupid with our predictions. There's a few we've actually got a little bit of... Uh, bit of a reputation to, to uphold um, this year. So uh, we'll see how we go in those. But uh, first of all, um, let's just uh, round up a few bits of transfer gossip and uh, news and everything that's going on. And Jack, um, I think the, the key thing that's been breaking in the last few days is um, the Fred story may be uh, coming back around. It's been one of those that's been linked all summer, um, but there seems to be a little bit of a development here, which is, uh, which is good news. Fred again. Yeah. Um, yes, it does feel that it's been re-reported, I suppose, over the last couple of days. There has been a little bit of conjecture, I think, in this one. Fred is in London, and that's why everything suddenly exploded again in terms of him going to Fulham. We saw some news from various outlets that, that, that Manchester United are potentially looking to sell one or Fred of or Scott McTominay. We know that West Ham are in talks for McTominay, Fulham reportedly in talks for Fred. So I think both of those deals, I don't think will go through together unless United have a couple of aces in the pack in terms of midfield incoming. So I would just keep an eye on the McTominay one to West Ham because I think that that could be a pretty key factor in whether this goes through or not. But yeah, I mean, look, he's in London. There were obviously manoeuvres for Fred to try and leave Manchester United this summer. There was widespread discussion of the Fulham interest and Marco Silva's interest it would be another Lucifone for the Lucifone XI Um, (laughs) but yeah I'm not completely convinced that anything's moving forward faster than it was before this is actually like a transfer saga that is just so associated with images that have appeared on social media beginning with Marco Silva (laughs) hopping off the bus speaking to Fred and then every time Fred pops up in London it's uh it's back on. All so. systems go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. The He's ma- not here at the Crabtree today. We did have a little look around to see if Fred might be having a bit of lunch here um, in W6. but uh, No so sign of him, I'm afraid. No sign of him, but we did, uh, we did keep him. Sure, he should be training, out. right? You know, 
Unless he's, you know, been given complete leave of absence at Old Trafford. I guess so, probably. But if he's trying <laughs> to secure his big money move, maybe in a, a Wednesday afternoon at the local pub might be where uh, the contract might be signed. I don't yeah. know, but like, I, I don't, I'm not aware of the flight schedule from Manchester, but if there's no Manchester to Istanbul flights, Galatasaray is still very much in this conversation. So you might have had to come to London to fly to They've been busy. Istanbul. They have been busy. Yeah. Having lots of fun. That's exciting. That's old school, that is, in Galatasaray, making um, waves. Yeah, uh, and then the only other rumour that I feel like has, has kind of developed um, since uh, Sunday's podcast, which you did, Jack, is that the, the Timothy Castagna rumour just continues to kind of stay there. I just, I don't know why that this rumour I've just not been that convinced is, is going to happen. Is it because I reported it? Um, <laughs> it's not because you reported it. I just, I've just had this feeling like, sometimes you have gut feelings about transfers that are going to happen and aren't. And for this one, I've just been, for some reason, in my head. Yeah, it's, it's one of those. I think, um, like we said before, Fulham always have a list of targets. Um, and then they'll go through them depending on what's doable, what the target wants to do. Um, and that's why you often get some quite late moves as well, um, because they want to keep their best targets sort of in the frame a little bit. So um, I think with, with Castagna, I think the problem is price. Like clearly Fulham aren't the only club that like him. Yeah. Um, I think Juventus have been linked with him all summer. Um, but, you know, he's a Belgian international, got still in the middle of his career age-wise really versatile it fit really well i think with what fulham want to do but um again it's it's price and leicester will charge a good price for him and um as we've seen with with fulham's other negotiations they 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 drive hard bargains so um let's let's see i think i think you're right to be like sort of skeptical because it's it's until you see like advanced talks there's so many open possibilities really particularly for a club of Fulham size you just I'm feel like I'm trying to will Serginio Dest to the cottage <laughs> that's, uh, that's my, my main goal this summer you just feel like with someone like Castagna, I get it, it's it's a problem that we've discussed all summer. When you have such solid first teamers, and we do on both flanks with Robinson and Tete, where mm. are the opportunities for Castagna to play? And you'd thought with someone of Castagna's quality, you'd go, oh, and, and we had this with Balotoro, we discussed it as well. Like, mm. why are you going to come to Fulham and be second fiddle? Yeah, no, 100%. I think that's a massive, massive factor. Um, and I think when you looked at Tete's position, particularly when Cedric came in, we were all saying about his fitness, you know, this is the issue, it probably will rear up again. Then he has a full, pretty much a full season, you know, limited time on the sidelines and is brilliant. Um, and you think, oh, maybe he's put that behind him and it changes the, the picture entirely. So exactly. And that's, that could easily be a factor, you know, is waiting to see what, what Fulham looked like. But Fulham will need backup right back. Obviously Kevin and Babu still on the books. And we mentioned last week that, particularly in relation to, say, Tosin, like what Fulham do is going to be related to who they have on the books. They're not going to bring someone in and then risk having too many bodies in, in certain positions when they have other priorities, such as on the wings, which, again, is clearly the clearly important. I've got to say, just on Mbabu, he's someone who obviously came in, started well, fell away, was clearly not in Silver's plans, went out on loan. I've been impressed, not necessarily, you know, there's nothing even outstanding in his performances in pre-season, but he seems to have got his head down and worked away at it. And Silva seems to have trusted him enough to bring him on in, in a couple of games and, and, and trust him to at least travel with the squad and, and all of those things. Well, that's There's actually a big thing, because obviously, you know, Anthony Knockart, even Cavallero, Terence Congolo are still Fulham players. Yeah. So, and they're not involved at all. Yeah. So, that, right. that, I've had this kind of funny feeling about Mbappé all summer. Like, I know, I saw him in the summer series he actually you know and he had to play left back I think against Aston Villa which we, we famously found out is not his uh, best position but Silva still kind of trusted him to do that I've just had this funny feeling that we're searching for a right back and I kind of feel like we we have one and if there is and what we don't know about Mbabu is what went on behind the scenes last season what was it that that made Marco Silva other than Crawley away decide that Kevin Mbabu wasn't the right fit for him and actually he was probably only maybe fifth or sixth of the worst players at Crawley away he certainly wasn't the worst um so I've, I've kind of had this funny feeling all year that the right back solution is probably what we already have but Jack I thought what was interesting on the Sunday podcast you kind of alluded to was it feels now that I'm going into Everton 
and everything's just fine for the first game of the season. What we're going to see now is probably deadline day deals yeah. and moving and shifting and what Fulham can do in the past few weeks last few weeks of the deadline it's not going to be we need a player for Saturday because actually that first 11 that is kind of there I think we kind of know who's going to play on Saturday ish we'll discuss it later is kind of fine at this at this stage now we're just looking to make improvements and that's not where we were this time last year in fairness no it's not you're right and there there's something to be said for that that obviously we're in a better position or a more solid position I suppose than than last year in that regard I, I still have serious concerns about our depth in the middle. Um, and, and I think we need another defensive midfielder. I think we need an, another out-and-out defensive midfielder in order to allow the rest of this squad to fit in nicely and play in their, their preferred positions. Um, obviously, we spoke about it a little bit on, on Sunday, but Al-Masrati is still there at, at Braga, someone that Fulham were interested in last year, had another fantastic season. Whether you can convince him to come in and be a backup to Polina different question I suppose but I think that that's the position that in the squad that I am most concerned about because I still don't think that Sasha Lukic is the answer in that deepest position in the midfield and I think that you don't get the best out of him there so you know whether Fulham look to to do something in that regard and and deal with that position is probably my overarching concern with, with the squad that's left to us right now but yeah as you say we're probably in a more solid position than we were at this point last year. Yeah, Peter, looking ahead to um, Everton on um, Saturday, there's there's quite a few questions, really, because we just don't exactly know the fitness of several key players. It feels like my, my hunch is that Polina and Kearney won't be involved, and I reckon Mitrovic from the bench would be my hunch. Yours? Yeah, I'd probably say the same. Um, Silva said after Hoffenheim that Polina was doing individual work, and, you know, if he's not in contact training at this point and it seems unlikely but I don't think anyone who didn't feature last week against Hoffenheim is going to play in this game no it's going to be broadly similar isn't it Yeah, maybe off the bench but definitely not in the starting 11 yeah Um, Mitrovic again he's back he's involved Um, I thought his cameo against Hoffenheim was pretty encouraging in terms of the way he acquitted himself like that's the main thing isn't it Um, how committed is he Um, which seems you know and people go he's under contract but you know his head's been turned, so how invested is he? And it looked good, and I thought he had an impact when he came off the bench. Um, Willian started that game. Obviously, the, his offer to Al-Shabaab hasn't gone anywhere. That's not developed. He's staying. Um, to be honest, those are the, probably the biggest transfer news, really, isn't it, in the past week, the fact that there's no change there and sort of 3-0, isn't it, Fulham v Saudi Arabia? So, um, at the moment, <laughs> famous last words. Yeah, I'm really, really sad you I said I really that. feel like that could end 2-1, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. sadly. A win's a win, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look at the goal difference points here. I think Mitrovic starts the weekend. Really? Yeah. But even even from fitness... Well, yeah, he did play 90... Well, he played 90 minutes over, over the two week. games. Yeah, yeah. two games. Was a I, I've got a funny game. feeling the market throws him in uh, because if he scores, imagine how you know, quickly the mood would turn. Uh, I think that there's a real chance that Marco starts with I'm, I'm a little sceptical of that. Yeah, my, I think my, it's a fair point. I guess, though, the only um, example of this kind of from last season was when Carlos Vinicius's place kind of stuck for a little bit, even when Mitrovic was back. You think back to that Southampton game, Carlos Vinicius started, yeah. Mitrovic came off the bench. I wonder if he'll do something similar where he's like, look, Raul... 60 minutes, unless maybe the game's 3-0 up. And even if that was the case, I still think perfect to bring on Mitrovic for half an hour. That's my hunch at the weekend is that you see Raul starting Mitro on. But also, it wouldn't be very un-Marco Silva to, to throw a cat amongst the pigeons and, and give Everton a bit of a surprise. And uh, yeah, look, he's on the pitch. He's starting mm. two fingers Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I just think it's, I just think his preseason has been so disrupted. And yeah. I don't... Yeah. You know, as much as, and, and I wrote this in my piece after the game, that it's, it's, it's encouraging to see him play the way he did and have the impact the, the way he did. But I just, even now, the key thing, at least from Marco Silva's perspective, and it's not an easy thing, is to refocus minds, resettle minds. And I'm not convinced that Mitrovic is there. I don't think his future is definitely Fulham. I don't think his head's there. So. I think there's the, the other factor in this is that Fulham have put a price on Mitrovic's head, right? They've gone... £50 million pounds 
whatever that that fee exactly is i'm not saying that that's it but whatever they've around there whatever they've put on the table and said this is where you have to get to if Mitrovic has personal terms agreed and the rest of you know i think that the al halal will turn as we said to other targets they've looked at some other some players joao felix the latest to kind of go in there i do worry that they know what the price is for Mitrovic and it gets to what deadline day and they go right there you are there's your 50 million do Fulham then go, does Mitrovic have then cause to say to Fulham, well, they've put on the table what you asked for, I would like to go. And does that then disrupt everything all over again? But even more than that, Peter, and um, my friend Dawn actually texted me after the podcast. She's like, there's one thing I feel like everyone's not mentioned yet is that Saudi Arabia's deadline. Two weeks later. Is the 20th of September. Surely, though, my response to her was, but... Once our deadline's passed and we cannot sign a replacement, it's not like he's got a release clause, as far as we know. Certainly, I don't think it's 50 million. Otherwise, that might have been a bit more widely reported. Surely, once our deadline's passed, it'll be too late for us to let Metro go for any money. But I don't know. Maybe if Saudis do come in with a crazy offer that we would have to take it. Yeah, I... I it's a different it's a different scenario entirely at that point isn't it because yeah. he's Fulham can't replace can't reinvest that money your hands are tied so they'll well with them their rights to go we can't do it now you know um, but I mean we'd have to talk it just really changes the, the circumstance doesn't it you'd think if you're, if you're Fulham you think well this is what it is now but then it wants the window shuts for us it's you, Mitrovic might point then to Raul and Vinicius and be like hang on have you not already signed mm. I look, I'm, I'm, I'm just playing devil's avocado in many ways, but mm. like, I appreciate that if he, if he has said, I've, you know, this is where I'd like to go. I want to go and earn that money. Mm. And Fulham said, yes, okay, but we need to get the right fee for you. Mm. Whenever that bit comes in, he'll be like, but then it, then it literally does depend on how the manager and the club feel they are prepared to play without him. And yeah. maybe that could be why I think Raul Jimenez will probably start at the weekend so you can actually get a sense of what Fulham looked like without him. Yeah, it feels like for now, it's probably going to be a bit of Mitro off the bench. I still think Mitro can come off the bench and make a difference. And the only hope for me is that Mitro maybe starts on the bench for this one, maybe starts against Brentford, gets a couple of goals, remembers what it's like with the Fulham crowd. And then maybe his mind might just be like, oh, maybe just the grass is greener here for now. Like, I, th- I think this is never going to go away. I think this is going to be a long-term thing. And suddenly when he's only got two years left on his contract, one year left on his contract, Fulham have got a lot less negotiating power than they than they do right now. But um, yeah, we will see. Right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we're going to look a little bit more in detail at Everton. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here at the uh, the lovely Crabtree pub uh, with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Uh, before we do our pre-season predictions and embarrass ourselves, well, probably I'll embarrass myself, um, let's just quickly um, preview Everton um, uh, Saturday's opening game of the season. And... Jack, I was kind of under the impression that Everton were in turmoil and then I looked at their pre-season results and I know you shouldn't read too much into pre-season, but I was kind of surprised to see them unbeaten and only conceding one goal in five. Yeah, they didn't leave the UK, which is the most dice thing I think I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> they played like Bolton, 
Burnley. I think they um, had one game in Switzerland, didn't they? They had they, like a like a Deitch camp in Switzerland. They went to Wigan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Their results are they won two one at Stad Nionne, which I think is a piece of reference, and they must have a Swiss camp, which again still very Deitch. Yeah. Um, a 1-0 win away at Wigan, a 0-0 draw at Bolton, a 1-0 win away at Stoke. Like name me a more Deitch preseason than that. It's unreal. <laughs> and then a 1-0 win over Sporting on Saturday, which as you mentioned, just feels like a um, pre-advance um, bit of cash um, for uh, the, si- the striker they're about to sign. Yeah, it's a Yusuf Chermiti derby before Yusuf Chermiti joined Everton. Wild. Uh, yeah. I think that that sporting result was actually quite impressive. Sporting have been okay in preseason, been keeping an eye on, on what they've been doing and trying to keep an eye on, on how Jokeres is, is slotting into their system. So that's a, a relatively impressive result. I think the, the thing there is that, that they look, or they at least sound, defensively pretty cohesive, which is not something you would have said for Everton last year. So that's probably a positive from their point of view and a negative from ours. But generally, I'm... I'm not hugely worried, but equally, if Fulham played like we did in the first half against Hoffenheim, we're in real trouble because that was that was really quite poor. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're talking about different things. Everton are going to be more structured. Daesh has had a clear out of the players that he doesn't want. He knows exactly what he's going to try and get from, from this squad. And I think that you're going to see an Everton side that probably aren't going to struggle as much as they did last year. Now, they're not going to be great fun to watch but I think they will grind out results especially at home and it's a relatively tricky start I think actually in in, in a weird way at first that the fixture came out and you're like Everton away that's all right we can live with that but the more that things are dragged on and the more that you you know kind of acknowledge the fact that this Everton side are going to be far better drilled and in a far better place than they were last season it starts to look increasing like a ooh, don't really fancy that actually that, that doesn't look great so I think this is going to be a tricky test, if if I'm honest, and and I'm I'm a little bit concerned just about the fact that they've been able to grind out so many clean sheets that, especially with Fulham not looking quite as sharp as as we perhaps did at the end of last year, it might just be quite hard to break them down. Kind of, kind of feels like a nil nil in waiting, does, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Look like a nil nil. <laughs> I mean, Everton's front line is. Not great. He's got Neil yeah. Morpé. He scored in preseason, didn't he? Neil Morpé. He did a I goal. Mean, that, that should have made wow. headlines. Um, <laughs> so he. So they've got him. But in general, they look. That's the one area of their squad. They look quite weak. Um, obviously, Fulham. They've got the uncertainty up front. Uh, good to see him and a score against Hoffenheim. I think that's a yeah. big thing, particularly after how difficult his season was last year. Um, but I'm. But I do agree with you, Jack. I just. I didn't get the sense that Fulham were 100 percent sharp. Now, I guess. It changes things when you know that Fulham played Hoffenheim twice over two days. Um, obviously, very different squads. It was quite a lot of under-21s in that first squad, but you're not going to be 100% if you've come on one day and then yeah. playing the next. So maybe there'll be a bit of a, more of a surprise element, but because of how open Fulham were, um, the, the sort of mistakes they were making just didn't feel particularly ready um, in the way that it probably did last year with the Villarreal game. Um, it was a defence for me. Yeah. Like the fact that Hoffenheim could and probably should have been up 3-0 by about 25 minutes into the game was a real concern. It was not necessarily even the fact that Fulham were creating, you know, opening chances, because there were chances for other teams last year. But this was, like, sliced open in a way that we didn't see that much, you know, and that worried me big time. Yeah, I, I also found... And it comes back to the midfield point, obviously, without João Palinho and how much of an impact that has. Just it... It felt to me like Fulham were trying to go man-to-man in the middle and with the the three that Hoffenheim had and their movement was great for Hoffenheim. Really, really good. Really varied. Their number six, Promel, I thought he was great. Um, scored. Um, just running beyond the Fulham midfield. And yeah. Like I, it's, I can see why Lukic is playing in the six and I think it's a really big season for him. I think, you know, he's had six months at Fulham now. This is a chance for him to, to kick on a bit. Um, just not sure it's quite there in terms of his understanding with, say, Reed. Bear in mind that it was Bobby Deckard over Reed playing as the third midfielder. And Bobby was good. He was actually, particularly on that left-hand side, making those runs in the yeah, channel yeah, beyond yeah. William that was really, really important. Just doesn't feel like it's set yet. You know, maybe that changes in a different environment and all the other variables we talk, talked about. But I just felt that contributed to the, the openness that Fulham have. Because Fulham play with a high line, you know. That's why it's so important that their press is good in the middle. 
Um, once that's, if that's beaten too easily, like the Arsenal game, that's the one that stands out from last season where mm. the midfield was bypassed so quickly. Um, they've become very open and exposed, and that's probably why Fulham conceded a lot of chances against bigger teams. So um, I, the only thing is it's Everton, so I don't think Everton necessarily will be playing through the Fulham midfield. They'll probably play over or around it. Well, it kind of looks like Everton have been playing a very much a four four two or a four four one one. So I mean, and it's a four four two with four centre midfielders as well as is the other thing. So Adrius Aganagay, James Garner, Anana, and Decore all played. It feels like in, quite a blunt instrument that probably suits the fact that we haven't got Polino at the moment. Y- yes, it does. But equally, you're just like, oh god, like how are we getting through that midfield? <laughs> just go round it. <laughs> well, I don't know if you can go round it because they've got centre midfielders on the f- and playing at right and left left midfield to try and block you going round it. So that's interesting, I think. But yeah, it, it's it's going to be intriguing to see how they line up and how Fulham deal with that because it's going to be something that you know, not many teams do actually play with a four four two anymore, and especially with what looks like a narrow system from Daesh. I'm going to be quite intrigued to see how that works. Um, one positive, probably from a Fulham perspective, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is a serious doubt um, for this game. Yeah, basically <laughs> the the perennial that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is injured. It looks like Tarkovsky would be back. He limped off in this sporting game, but uh, reports seem to be that Tarkovsky um, will be back uh, for Saturday, which is obviously a shame from our perspective because I think uh, an Everton defence without Tarkovsky would be um, a much easier one to, to, to play through. I mean, last year, Jack, we went there. It was a, a, probably one of our more comfortable wins of the year yeah. with the uh, the prodigal Dan James up front. We don't have him this year, but I mean, that was a fairly easy day at the office for Fulham. We come in, went into that five games lo- losing on the spin and Everton was almost like the perfect opponent for us that day. Yeah, it was the tonic that we needed, wasn't yeah. it? Um, yeah, we, we tore them apart that day, but this is not that team and it's going to be intriguing to see how Silver goes because we saw pace in behind really hurt Everton last year that isn't really an option we don't have that player to, to, to go by unless you play Bobby Deckard over Reed up front but I don't think he's going to do that with three out and out strikers yeah, no. in, the, in the squad now so yeah it's going to be a different system it's going to be something that struggles and you know we look at the Everton game at home right might be a more obvious indication of actually how this one might play out where it did feel quite dull I suppose at times in order to try and grind that out um, and just um, lineups. I mean I'll, I'll say what mine is and then you guys maybe pick in I, what, this is what I'm predicting not necessarily what I would like but I'm thinking Leno in goal, Robinson left back Bassi and Diop so you've got Bassi left, Diop right, Tete Lukic and Reed at kind of six and eight. Um, probably Decker Dover Reed in the 10. William Wilson Jimenez, which is, unless I'm mistaken, exactly who started against uh, Hoffenheim. Any difference in what you expect on Saturday? I don't know where Andres Pereira is in, in terms of his recovery. Obviously, we saw him get minutes. We're not sure quite how much sharp he is. If he's available, I think Silver picks him because does something like a a late corner or a, a something that can unlock them from a, from a set piece come into play here. So I, I would suggest that if Bede is available, he'll start. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I, I think I, I said at the top that I thought Mitrovic would start. I'll stick with that. I think Mitro will start up top. But uh, the question mark is Tim Ream, I think, really for me. Is he fit and available? If he is, does he come in for Bassi? Is that harsh on Bassi? There's loads of questions over that and how that one plays out. I think becomes a big question as to how put him see if if Carver Lewin was starting and we knew for a fact that he was fit, I think maybe Bassi would come in as a lock to deal with the physicality that, that Calvin Lewin possesses. But if he isn't, then maybe that changes a little bit. It feels like Peter Fulham could have done with this preseason being another three weeks because it feels like there's so many players on the periphery of being able to play. You know, you kind of had those Kearney and um, uh, uh, Tim Ream injuries, Pereira obviously on the way back. Um, Lina. Yeah, and Mitrovic obviously probably needing a few more weeks. I feel like in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have some real selection 
debates. But for now, I don't know. It feels like I can't really see what else Silva can do other than maybe Pereira. Yeah, Fulham have been a bit unlucky on the fitness front. Um, you know, Kenny as well, I think, just having his op- the option of him uh, in midfield, particularly in a game like this where I think Fulham will see a lot of the ball. Um, yeah, may- maybe maybe a couple more weeks would have been would have been ideal. Um, but I think in general that most of the team will have had that time. I think Pereira was on a similar thing to Mitrovic last week over the weekend in that he was had 90 minutes, but over the two games. So I, th- I think he's more likely to play. Yeah. Um, and I think he's, I think he's well, obviously, we, we know how important he is from set pieces yeah. and his all-round play. So um, I don't know who you take out in that, that middle. I don't know how, how you reshuffle that, who, who, who drops out. Um, probably Bobby because it's not his natural position, but... Um, I, Where is? Well, you know, <laughs> he's looked pretty good in preseason. So um, he's one of I think the ones that have had those international games in June. So Bobby Decker, Reed, Harry Wilson. You know, they've, they're, they're probably in a better physical place than than the others. So um, we hope we yeah. can stay there. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a yeah. lot of football. Um, I guess that is one thing, Jack. Coming up against a Daesh team is, um, if nothing else, they will be physically prepared, which. Um, maybe actually not ideal for, for game one of the season because th- there's no way that a Daesh team isn't going to be going into that first game of the season 100% match sharp. There's there's lots of debates about the quality of a lot of their side and the tactics and stuff, but we'll know we're in a game from minute one on Saturday. Yeah, the old gravel munchers will be will be right up amongst it. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's one thing we can't count out, no. Yeah. All right, um, let's do our pre-season predictions. So... Once again, I've um, I've given Jack and Peter uh, several categories, seven in total, and um, we'll we'll lock them in a safe, and then come May, um, we'll see how we get on. So, the first one: Where will Fulham finish, Jack? Sixteenth. Ooh. Okay. Is that <laughs> it? That's, that's, that's quite. That's that's quite low. Yeah, I'm, I mean, look, obviously things can change, but right now I'm really worried about the quality of this side and I'm worried about the quality of the sides. The quality of the sides may be a little bit unfair, that where this side are going to be on deadline day and the players that have come in as replacements. I think Bassi's a really good signing. I really like him. But I'm a little bit wary of the fact that he comes into a place in this team where I think Tim Room is so important in terms of m- marshalling the back line and where that kind of works out. And I'm just a bit wary that our signings at this point don't hugely feel like we've raised the bar all that much. And that's what concerns me. That Obviously, you bring depth in, all of these things. I think that, you know, there's been rumours in the last sort of, 10 minutes that Callum hudson Doy's deal is closer to being finalised than it was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> but... You know, that's the kind of signing that I think might be able to raise that bar. But right now I'm I'm looking at the rest of this this table. I'm looking at the teams that finished below us last year. Um looking at Bournemouth in particular, who I think have had a really good summer, who have brought in a really good manager in Araola. And I'm you know, I think that they could be in the position that Fulham were in last year, you know, where they're comfortable away from it and just sort of maybe on the edge of European football. I think that we've seen sides come up. I really worry for, and we'll talk about it, but Luton and, and, and Sheffield United. But generally, I, I can't see all that many teams that I'm looking at in this division. Even someone like an Everton, right, who I think just will be able to grind those results out at home, I feel like they'll be in the similar kind of position to where we will be. And that worries me quite a lot. Yeah. Um, Peter, right. Where will Fulham finish? What does that crystal ball on your phone say? I'm not sure. Um I'm not sure why I reacted like that to your 16th because I've gone 15th. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, Um, one place higher. For for similar reasons, I think. Um, I just think there's so much uncertainty at the moment around the team. And I think the players that have come in look good. But as Jack was saying, I think what made Fulham so good last year was the balance that they had with the players available. And I think, you know, Reams, sort of the intangibles and the way he can dictate play from deep, I think is really important. Obviously, he'll, he's not gone anywhere, so let's, let's, let's see when he comes back from fitness. Um, the Mitrovic uncertainty. Um, and yeah, and I also, I also think that 
the league is going to be a bit more I'm trying to find the right word segmented yeah divided really between top and bottom and I just I, I, I think last year and I remember asking Silver this at, at one point when Fulham were near 6th or 7th you know is this a one-off is this sort of a one-off opportunity to break into this bracket of positions that can get you into Europe because you had Chelsea and Liverpool and Tottenham just struggling just absolute you know calamities really at times I, I don't see that necessarily I mean it's it's the Premier League anything can happen and I'm sure there'll be one or two strugglers but you actually look at for me anyway I've been, you know looking at the whole Premier League table I think the top 10 is almost locked in um, there are eight teams including Brighton I mean there's seven with an enormous amount of money that are far on a different level Brighton are incredibly well run and I know they've got Europe but the depth that they have the way they built their squad I think they'll still retain that area of the the league Aston Villa are in a different place now yeah we've seen that under Unai Emery that's nine places so I think everyone else it's it's, it's how you it's, start it, it, uh, it's so much of this comes down to how you start because that affects the, the environment around the team yeah, like 100%. Fulham's good start last year was like oh Fulham are okay and everything felt calm but if Fulham start badly or a team starts badly it's like oh god well that's what worried me when the fixture list came out and um, we might come on to it but you know a lot of pressure feels like on an Everton away game, a Brentford home game, which is a derby and anything can happen. And then you've goes out the window, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got City and Arsenal, or Arsenal and City, away. So you almost have to just accept that that's two losses barring a miracle. Yeah, it's two losses. If you take out of the out, then they're bonuses, but you cannot carry count mm. on those kind of but results. But it means right? that you have, to, you have to win one of Everton or Brentford. Yeah. Otherwise, we're in... Like, we're going into that international break in September with a bad start or at least we're low in the table we might be able to caveat it with we had tough fixtures but it it feels like a lot of pressure on these opening two games and I guess that was the difference last season was going the first three games unbeaten getting then the fifth win in the fifth game getting the win against Brighton was probably the big linchpin of last season where a lot of what our form was based around yeah you get to that 10 point mark early doors yeah Yeah, we were in 10 points in September it's a pressure valve, isn't it? Yeah, huge, huge pressure valve. The, so, only, the only other thing, though, is to, like, while the top 10 for me is pretty set, is the, the, the rest bo- of it's the bottom an absolute half, it's a chaos pill. Yeah, oh my God. And that <laughs> is why I have gone for 12th. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. I just think that there are plenty, it, it's easy to catastrophize over your own club. And yeah, I mean, I really hope you're right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, I, I'm totally, and look, I, I um, still think that, like, even if we did finish 16th and Survival 15th, is fine. we have to accept that that's okay in year two of a Premier League season. I, I wouldn't be delighted, but, you know, I think it's when you get greedy or a fan's expectation gets greedy, then often it can slide off a hill and, and go the other way. So I still think if it was 16th, 15th, it wouldn't be that enjoyable, but it would be absolutely fine. But I think there's enough to be optimistic about. I think you still have to look at our squad, and, and we've lost one key player, and that's Manor Solomon. Yes, Mitro could go, but he also likely couldn't go, and I, I think it's honestly still 50-50 yeah, as to that. I think that we've strengthened in some key areas. The lineup for the first few games of the season, no Polina, no Kearney, no Ream, have we got Andreas, is a bit shaky, but you imagine once that September international breaks come and gone and hopefully there's no more new injuries, that Fulham will have a very, very healthy lineup um, going into an easier run of games come September. So I'm, I'm going to say 12. I mean, it's still a downgrade on last season. So to, uh, uh, for the fact that that feels positive is, is, is maybe a bit of a shame. But yeah, we almost have to forget. Last season was, was very weird and the World Cup break affects different squads in different ways but I still think there are enough teams below us that are have got worse or if anything have got no better and a few powder cakes as well you know, there's yeah. definitely some like major ones and like I'm currently I, I won't predict West Ham to, to go down but right now if the season started tomorrow and the window's shut I would yeah so like we're we're at that kind of point. I just I'm I'm worried. And you talk about that international break going into that interna- If we went into that international break or not, 
Well, I mean, that would be just be a problem at any time, wouldn't it? Mate? Like, well, it's four games, so yeah. it's not actually, you know, and two of them <laughs> yeah, against Arsenal and Manchester yeah, City. But, so yeah. in context, no, but I just think in terms of the way that everything looks, in terms of the way that everything feels, that's the, like, that's the one that I'm like, we shouldn't panic, but people will panic. Yeah. You don't want it to be... Fulham Luton and we're both on zero points. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. No chance. Yeah, no. I and there no is every chance. I don't think it will be zero, but I think there's every chance it could be two. And that's still not a great position to be in. A couple of draws, a couple of losses. So if we got a win on Saturday, it would be a huge relief. Huge, huge relief. Right, let's move on to... So in the last couple of years, we've basically done a category which was second top scorer because Mitrovic is so obvious... But actually, we don't know if Mitrovic is going to stay. So what I've changed it to this year is Mitro amount of goals, if he stays, is the first category. And then the second category will be top scorer if Mitro leaves. So we'll do them all in one. Um, Peter, I'll start with you. So Mitro amount of goals, if he stays. 13. Okay. Stays. I know that's, slight, that's less than this year. And I, I kind of doesn't... It's just... I wonder... He's going to take off penalties. <laughs> well, that's one element. Yeah, that's um, a very, very sensible. That's one element. But also, uh, how, this is the thing, because he missed a third of the season, still got 14 goals last year. This yeah. is what's playing in my mind. So I'm sort of oscillating between above and below. But I'm going to go below just because I think it could possibly be a slower start where he's not playing and Jimenez might get a run and then this could be completely wrong and then he plays all the games and uh, <laughs> it does really well. Um, we know if Fulham create chances for him, we know the system is built for him to score goals, he will score goals. So, um, am I convincing myself to change that number slightly? But I'll stick with, I'll stick with 13. Yeah, I was going to go 14, same as this year. Um, okay. With probably a similar amount of game time. I think that Peter's right. I'm not 100% sure he's going to... If he doesn't start at the weekend... Uh, we could not see him start a game for a, for a while. And that could be injured, especially if Raul does well. Like, mm. You know, then suddenly, you know, Silva's always been, you earn your place in the team and, you you know, it's yours to lose until you do something that justifies being dropped. So I think there will be spells where maybe it isn't as quite as easy. But on the whole, yeah, I think if he stays and his head's back in the game, same amount as last year, 14. I'm going to go 15 if he stays. I think that... I would have gone higher, but I think there is a serious possibility that he's off penalties. He has to be. After that whole Man United old trip, surely that was his last chance. Take Four penalties missed out of eight in a season is just not good enough. And it didn't cost us a position. We kind of worked that out over a season, but it very much could have. So if it wasn't for the penalties thing, I mean, he will score some of his penalties. I would potentially have gone higher. I think if he stays, he'll be an absolute linchpin in what we do. I think 15 is an optimistic basis of him staying fit and everything else, which hopefully he will, but we'll never know. Uh, second one is top scorer if Mitro leaves. I won't ask you for the amount of goals. I mean, you can add that if you really want. But yeah, if Mitro leaves, mm. who's the top scorer? That's a good question. I was sort of torn between Harry Wilson, potentially. Yeah. So I can see him potentially having a good season. And he did score a few goals when he played regularly for Bournemouth um, in the Premier League. Um, but I'm going to go for Andreas Pereira on a set-pieces basis as well because I feel like he'd be... Oh, I guess he's competitive with Willian, though, for penalties, isn't it? But, yeah. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll go Pereira. I'll go Pereira. I'm going to say Harry Wilson, so that's good. <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, mine was Harry Wilson as well, so I'm, uh, I'm sticking with Jack. No one going with big Carlos Vinicius. <laughs> the difficulty with that question oh, is, if Mitro <laughs> did leave, <laughs> I would think that we would sign a Mitro replacement and he could well be the top scorer which is the difficulty with that question right this was one that did very badly last year well, hang on. if we sign a Mitro replacement he's the top scorer we obviously have to go with the person below him that's not fair <laughs> like if a person doesn't exist yeah, 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 right yeah. now yeah. okay uh, like, well yeah because that was the problem because Willian was one of our top score second top scorers last year and he wasn't at the club when we made the predictions so yes that is a that is a danger of doing predictions this early so okay right we'll, we'll put that on the record now that if there is a, another player that signs between now and the end of the window that just we couldn't have even foreseen that Jack top <laughs> four giving, give it to Callum Hudson and talking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> top four in order uh, City Arsenal United Chelsea okay Peter no Ooh. yes no Liverpool. Liverpool fourth. 
Okay. Oh, that's, basi- that's 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 mine. See, I was going to go United second when I was first looking at this, but then I saw Arsenal on the Community Shield, and I thought, hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're a better team. <laughs> then I remember that United scored thirty goals less than Arsenal last season, and I don't think Rasmus Hoyland fills that gap. No. Yeah. No. Um, City, Arsenal, United, Liverpool. I just feel like Liverpool will have enough. I don't think Liverpool are near the force that they are with the midfield that they've got, and at the moment they. They still need to do more, but I think they, they might do it. So if Christopher Nkunku wasn't out until <laughs> like December, mm. I would have gone Chelsea fourth. I know this sounds a bit uh, no maybe this is too much. I was going to say I uh, just can see like Brighton doing really well. There's a there's a thing on Skype at the moment which is like eleven. It's like eleven to two for Brighton to finish in the top four. And I was like, it doesn't feel like good enough odds, but equally it feels like perfectly fair odds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not good enough hours to throw a bet on it, but it's probably about right, which is uh, I, how it works. I just think Newcastle will struggle more in Europe yeah, than, than Brighton will. And then I just don't think Tottenham are there under Ange Postacoglu. I mean, they can see what he'll want to do, but that'll take time. And there's a big Kane factor. And then, who's the other one I'm thinking of? Um, Chelsea are just too young and too thin in their ground in their squad, I think. With Nkunku, I genuinely think that they they would have been right in this conversation, but with him missing for six months, I, I don't see who knits up the attack. Okay, I'm going to only throw one spanner in the works, is that I have a funny feeling Liverpool might get back into the top two. So I would go exactly what you said, other than that I will switch Liverpool into second. So City, Liverpool, Arsenal, and then United. That's bold, considering they have two midfielders on the books right now. Trent 30 assists. <laughs> Trent 30 assists is very plausible. I just feel like... Liverpool were quite cyclical and they're like last year was their bad year and it's often a bad year for Liverpool is often followed by a very very good mm. year yeah, yeah, yeah. so I haven't based it on much more evidence than that finished 11th. I also just think when <laughs> yeah I mean I would, be, I would actually be absolutely <laughs> fine if that was the case that's going to get brought Record up isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Liverpool win the league yeah I just um, also I, I think learnt my lesson from last year where we all I felt like everyone in the world had the exact same top four and I feel like that's the kind of like why and then like Arsenal came out of nowhere. There is always a shock team that can come out of of, yeah. of absolute left field. I feel like Liverpool are the most likely to be that team, even though it's not that left field. But everyone everyone thought Arsenal would be fourth last year, they ended up second. So that's yeah. my that's my thing that's this fair. year. This is a much more interesting debate for me. The three relegated mm. teams. Peter? Sheffield United. Wolves and poor old Luton Town. But Luton Town have got the, the Bournemouth treatment, but I just, yeah. I, I, I don't think you can sign the players that look like, again, I could be wrong and I might look, end up with egg on my face here, but Luton look like they're preparing for a championship season. And that's what they probably should do. No, 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 no. A, it is not a, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, a yeah. criticism whatsoever. It actually feels like a pretty sensible business manoeuvre mm. for them. And actually, if you listen to any of the stuff with their, their CEOs, with their the behind the scenes staff, they're talking about the fact that they have had to spend like eight million redeveloping the stadium so it's fit for Premier League consumption. Like, obviously, that's going to affect the transfer budget, etc., cetera, mm. etc. Cetera. But yeah, I, I think the, the signings they've made: Mads Anderson from Barnsley, Chidozi Benny on a free from Rotherham, bringing in um, marvelous Nakamba, who was part of their promotion push. I, I love Ryan Giles signing for them from uh, Wolves on loan at Middlesbrough last year. Said this on Ranks the other day, but Rob Edwards, the fullback whisperer, uh, the <laughs> wingback whisperer. Um, he is going to love Ryan Giles, so I'm I'm excited to see how that goes. But I just can't I can't see them staying up. They won't be cut adrift. I think they'll surprise a few people. Gonna, the points, I, I think they'll bloody some noses, but there won't be enough bloodied noses to stop them no, going down. No. I do think it's massively unfair that they're having to spend all that money on improving their ground when they are about to move. And and we should know, considering the first time that Fulham were allowed up to the Premiership, we were given a year's dispensation at Craven Cottage, despite being nowhere near. Um, that was about standing, though. Yeah, but still, like, just Trent to improve... got the same dispensation. This is this is about broadcast, I, I believe. Yeah, I just... Considering they're moving ground, it feels massively harsh to They've also make been them... moving ground for about 20 years. And but that is happening yet. now. I don't know. Mm. I, something feels a little bit wrong about, like, slapping them with a massive bill just so that they can um, house a few media lovies. you got to play with the big boys. you got to play with mm. the big boys. Yeah. Um, um, Jack, you're three? Yeah, exactly the same. Uh, Wolves are in dire straits. Yeah. Just so, a point to Gary O'Neill, but I they just... have a point to Gary O'Neill. Did um, did wonderful things with with Bournemouth last year, but I think that there was a part of that that 
you look at it and you go, he was already ingratiated into yeah. that squad. He had the relationships. The he was able to, to build from a foundation of strength. This is cold. I don't think he speaks Portuguese. And I'm, I'm concerned about his ability to turn Wolves around when they feel like on a deathly downward spiral. I mean, right if he now. does it, if he does it at Wolves, if he does it here, then he I might mean, actually, he might actually be a really good manager. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can see it from his point of view of like, it's a gamble worth taking. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, from his point of view. I am going to agree with you on Sheffield United and Wolves. I, there is always a surprise team. And I feel like oh, those- Luton Town are staying up. I think Luton are staying up. Okay. I just think Kenilworth Road will be just so awkward for teams to go to this season. I'm torn between Forest and Palace. There always is, there's always one shock. You know, who would have put Leicester last year? There's always one shock that's in the battle. There's not always one shock that goes down. I think those are two very different things. There's nearly always one-ish shock that goes down. I think Wolves always. would look as uh, people would look at Wolves as a shock. They are an established Premier League club now. Oh, that's not a shock though, given the mess that's there. Everyone is predicting Wolves to go down. I'm going to go for Palace. Wow, you're, you're saying Roy Hodgson is getting relegated? You are a disgrace. This <laughs> podcast probably end it and leave. Yeah, get George back. Right, look, uh, can we get Cooper back on here, please? <laughs> like, sorry, what? <laughs> In what way have Palace got any better? Well, they've brought in Mateus Franza, who I love. <laughs> who I love. I think he's excellent. Really enjoying. They've him. lost the key man. There are points last year where Palace were crap, really, really crap. Yeah, and then Roy Hodgson. They were really good under. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, under Patrick Vieira, completely fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> and then Roy kind of won like three or four games in a row. Amazing what he did for, and I love Roy. But you Doesn't can't sound like him, man. <laughs> Sounds like you hate him. Look, <laughs> I can't not just make a prediction just because I like a manager, right? I, I just think they're in trouble. And look, I'm only going for that on a slight, like, there is always one. So I'm trying to predict one that is the outside I think bet. West Ham are the outside yeah, bet. Yeah, I think West, I think West Ham. Ham are the But West Ham will make signings. Yeah, yeah but, but, but they also it. might sack David Moyes. It's the stuff behind the scenes that makes West Ham an issue. Like the fact that they can't sign any players because... Moyes is at loggerheads with the director of transfers. Yeah. Like they have a hundred million in the bank. So everyone is going to be like, cool. We're going to demand 10 million more for every single one of our players. The fact that they can't agree. The, the fact, so Moyes wants James Ward-Prowse and Scott McTominay and the director of football wants to sign Yusuf Fafana from Monaco and Dennis Zachariah. Now, one of these moves is smarter than the other. I'll give you that for free. And I guarantee you it is not David Moyes' move. But those signings are good for a David Moyes team. But it means it's bad for West Ham. And I think when you look at all that in context, it just feels like the club's in a bit of like a... Uh, and... Skamak has gone, obviously didn't do all that much. Antonio's another year older. They don't have an obvious backup striker. I think you look at it's Rice still... going, and if they bring in Ward-Prowse, fine. But n like nowhere near the same calibre of player. And, and if you bring in Scott McTominay, also a perfectly capable Premier League footballer, but I don't think you fill that gap. What I do think you do, you have to think outside the box here. And West Ham are not going to think outside the box. And when they do that, I guarantee you, they're about to give Thomas Suchet the captaincy. Right? Thomas Suchet without Declan Rice is going to be rubbish. Flat. He's going to be rubbish. He's uh, not a very good The thing football. with West Ham is there's still enough quality there. But that's uh, not that yeah, with but, Leicester. Yeah, but true. But compared, I don't think the bottom half is as volatile last year as it is this year. Because there are teams like... Even Brentford, right? Brentford They've got, West. They've got European fine. football again to contend with as well. Remember that. That's also a very good point. But with like Brentford, no Tony for six months. What does that do for them? I think they'll be fine because there's and no worse. and no David Raya. Yeah, yeah. Um, Burnley. That's for me is a complete swing. They are the sink or they go. They are fantastic. Carrying on from last season. That's a young squad. I think Burnley could be good. Really inexperienced, but that's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm in the good side at the moment, but that could swing very easily. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's a couple of bad home games and suddenly everything goes a bit Pete's hong. Nottingham, for, Nottingham Forest are incredibly gonna... unstable as a place. Like, Steve Cooper is probably under pressure already and hasn't started. <laughs> he is under that pressure. was why it was between Forest and Palace as my kind of shock, in inverted yeah. commas, this one is it. for me. Like this, I think Forest too many better than they were last year. I think that... They, yeah, they, they might feel, be, but then they might sack Steve Cooper and bring in someone that we don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think right. this is another season of you just need to keep your head above the water for the whole year. You just need to... Don't get dragged into the vortex. Yeah. And that worries me. Yeah, the noise and just where everyone's talking about it. Yeah. The pressure. So, um, right, moving back towards Fulham. Uh, player of the season, Jack? Joao Polina. 
a, a double for Jao, uh, Peter. Burnt Leno. I have gone for Burnt Leno as well. And I think, sadly, Burnt Leno getting player of the season is probably not a good indication for Fulham. No, it's, yeah, it's kind of... I mean, defensively, that's the thing with Fulham. It's the, you know, it's their attack that's made Fulham so good. I reckon um, Tony Robinson might be in with an outside chance. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I like, was, quite like that as a concept. Uh, yeah, he, he was the one I was considering as well because I just I feel like he's he's taking a step forward again. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how he does. Well, you might be able to use him in your Fulham hot take. What, um, so this is last year was very interesting the hot takes Peter absolutely nailed it by saying that Xiao Polini would get the most yellow cards in the league that which was, was an incredible good. shout the bar's way too high now um, I picked <laughs> up Tim Ream and said he would be better than people thought which was not actually the most glowing of hot takes in hindsight but at the time it felt bold yeah I said something about Jay Stansfield so yeah you said something about Jay Stansfield which I, I, little... I might not have a go this year um, so we might as well um, <laughs> A bit like Go golf. Me last. <laughs> a bit like golf, Peter. It's your honour. Um, oh, see, I've got a couple. I'm trying to work out which is the one to stick my neck out on. I'm going to go. Fulham will concede. Will be in the top three for most goals conceded. Oh, that's not the bottom fun. three. As in, sorry, yeah, <laughs> well, well, top yeah. three for most. Bottom three for goals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, not very good version. Not, not like good. Yeah. I think they'll concede a lot of goals. That doesn't sound very fun. Well, if you score a lot of goals, it's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, it's going to be Antipostoglu. We're going to be an Antipostoglu light. Okay. Um, Jack? Uh, Anthony Robinson, 10 plus assists in all competitions. 10? 10. I love Anthony Robinson, but have you, seen the, have you seen the man cross? All comps. Yeah, brilliant. We're starting to put the ball on the. We're starting to get the ball on the deck now. He's yeah, better yeah. on the deck. Lower crosses. That's that's him. It's, just, it's Robinson season. Okay. This is it. It's Anthony Robinson season. I, <laughs> I, I, I hope. When, when you review the season at the end, we'll be talking about how Robinson's been linked with all these clubs. It's going to happen again. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's Return of the Jedi here, mate. <laughs> okay. I feel like Fulham might struggle in the league, but I feel like we might be a cup team in waiting. Now that's optimistic. That's really optimistic. I'm going to say... I rate it, though. This is coming from, you know, bear in mind the club, when they got close to the final, had old traffic last year. <laughs> so there are some serious obstacles to overcome for this to happen. Mentally, I'm going to say, <laughs> hot take, Fulham in the Carabao Cup final. Wow! <laughs> Carabao? After crawling. Carabao! <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like yeah, wow. That's <laughs> you didn't even need to specify. You decided to. You could have said either cup. No, 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 no. I don't think. I think the FA Cup's unlikely. I mean, look, I'll take it. But I, I have a funny feeling the Carabao Cup's going to be our competition this year. We might not win it, but I think. When's we, the draw? The draw's soon, isn't it? <laughs> the, draw's get Man City. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the draw is actually by the time this podcast is out, so it could look incredibly Austin, stupid. Like, this is wild. <laughs> It's like doing, oh, you know, we know people do an Acker and they go to the 12.30 kickoff. You've done that with us. You've put the 12.30 kickoff in your Acker. Yeah. Carol. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Fair play to you. Jay Sansfield, 15 plus appearances. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really hope, I'm, I hope that one comes in this year. My other one was most crosses in the league. Okay. Oh yeah. I love that. I love the fact that Fulham at some point are going to go... <laughs> I still think three at the back and spam crosses into Mitch and Mitch and Roll. We are literally going to be like just battering the square <laughs> yeah. button. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. That's how, that's how Tony Robinson is getting his <laughs> It's all going to come together. Um, I just wanted to finish um, today's season preview with one email. I particularly enjoyed this one from Tim Miller. Um, so last week we discussed the, um, the Metro situation and if he refuses to play, what the legalities of it are. And um, this email just put a smile on my face. Uh, Tim Miller says, um, with lots of prejudice as the uh, uh, title of his email, to whom it may concern and other pompous legal salutations. Re, your legal discussion of the Metro situation. If he refused to play, this would amount to a fundamental breach of contract, knowing that it is a trade as a repudiatory breach. In these circumstances, the innocent party, i.e. the club, would have the option of different common law remedies. One, terminate the contract and claim damages. Two, treat the contract as continuing and claim damages for the breach. Or three, waive the breach and continue with the contract. 
Option three isn't relevant because if the player isn't playing, the contract isn't continuing. Option one doesn't really suit the innocent party, in brackets the club, because terminating the contract is what the player wants and Fulham don't want. The best option would be number two, hold Mitro to his contractual obligations, but seek damages for the withdrawal of his services. So if Mitro refused to play, Fulham could stop paying him, but they also could prevent him from leaving. He wouldn't really like that. However, this is merely legal theory. If I was advising Mitro, I would suggest he offers to play, but just play shit. So Fulham accepts that there's no point playing him or indeed paying him. Aside from possible bonus payments, there won't be a clause in his contract stipulating a level performance because this is too complicated and subjective. Fulham would have to prove he was deliberately playing shit and this would be impossible so he'd get away with it. Finally, you should always seek your own independent advice because one, I'm not a lawyer. Two, I could well be wrong. Three, I haven't been paid. So the quality of my research is commensurate, i.e. shoddy and perfunctory. And that's regards, Tim Miller. Brilliant. Very good. Absolutely sensational. <laughs> I don't think we learned anything really from that. No, we um, learned nothing. <laughs> it was just a lot of legal jargon there, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. So um, thank you, Tim. And that is it for um, Fulhamish's season preview. As I mentioned, we, we'll put this episode in the safe and we'll get it back out in May and uh, see how or well or not well um, particularly in my case of a Carabao Cup final shout it does or doesn't um, thank you very much to my guest today Peter Rutzer thank you no thank you it's been fun and Jack Collins thank you yeah, it's always a pleasure Sammy thanks for having me yeah it's been a really nice afternoon doing this in person and um, yeah being a beautiful one and uh, all that pre-season optimism no doubt will be um, eradicated next week when we meet again for the Thursday Club and um, George Cooper is going to be hosting a lot of the Sunday podcasts um, instead of myself. A little bit of a change. So George is going to be hosting Sunday's podcast, um, looking back at the Everton game. And then uh, myself and Jack and possibly Peter, haven't asked him, uh, will be back this time next week looking ahead to that big Derby Brentford match. But until then, have a great weekend. Come on, you whites. You whites.